Welcome to another edition of Top Lines and Tales, and we always like to try and try something new and different. And uh, this week, we're actually going to bring you a live webinar, something that we recorded just a few days ago. There, um, thanks to the courtesy of Harbro for setting this up. There, we've got uh, two top sheep breeders on there talking about sheep and the commercial side of it. And this is something for everybody, and we're never too old to learn. And uh, it's great to hear some good information from other people. So, thanks to Harbro, and uh, let's hear what these guys have got to say. Good evening. Welcome to the Tales from the Lambing Sheds 2023. And by the wonders of modern technology, we're managing to come live from the Lambing Sheds or possibly the farm kitchens in a couple of places in Scotland. And so welcome to the podcast. We've got Robert Laird of the pedigree and commercial well-known Texel sheep breeder from down there in Bigger. And uh, the Camwell flock have been going for somewhere in the region of 50 years. And Robert also runs uh, commercial cattle and some pedigree cattle as well. Robert, welcome. Hi, Andy. You well? Good, thanks. Nice to see you. And we have yeah. also with us, we've got Finlay McIntyre. And Finlay is the farm manager from Dunallister Estate in uh, Kinloch, Rannoch there. A little bit harder, higher country there where it's a bit windier. Welcome, uh, Finlay. Good evening. It's a pleasure to be here in your esteemed company. And uh, looking forward to it. So let's just start with this with the sheep. We're looking at breed selection, and breed selection is a very wide ranging subject that we obviously couldn't cover all of it. And different breeds suit different areas and different systems. And Finley, you'd mainly lamb outside slightly later, I guess. So the the blackie maybe is the backbone of of your breeding outfit. That's correct, and the we the. Business is split over two sides of the glen. On the south side, it's Crossmount, which is about 900 blackface yows. And on the other side, there's Denalister, which is 1,500 blackface yows and about, about 300 cheviots, with 45, 50 of them pure cheviots. So we lamb everything outside and we start at the end of April, beginning of May. And uh, yeah, that's that's the black is the backbone of our sheep enterprise. Yep. You start there when the weather improves. Unlike Robert, he'll be starting in a week or two. And Robert, because you you actually for a Texel breeder, you're be on higher ground than a lot of Texel breeders would be. And you run your Texels, you know, quite commercially. I know I've been there and seen them, and some 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 harder ground than maybe some of the of the you know the Texel breeders run. But uh, so would that make you you look for a hardier type of Texel than maybe somebody that's breeding one down on the low ground? Oh, absolutely, Andy. Most farms have got their sheep enterprises to suit the climate and to suit the, the kind of soil you've got. And we're very light soil and we don't hold uh, many trace elements. And um, But we certainly try to breed a textile, certainly, that's got easy fleshing and as much fat on it as possible. Um, years ago, we were kind of encouraged by the powers that be to take the fat off the our breeds. The Suffolk and the Charlie and the textiles were all treated the same, but... The Texel was a naturally leaner breed, so uh, we've kind of seen sense now, and um, I think most breeders understand the, the importance of breeding an easier flesh sheep, and it, it, it rings through in the ewes as well. A ewe that carries or condition longer is going to live longer. It's a no-brainer, really. Long, longevity, of course, is important. And, and yeah. I suppose I'll well, stay with you, Robert, their top selection. Obviously, in, in the pedigree world, the top selection is all about buying the right top to suit the market to breed the, the, the lambs for the top end. But, I mean, your top selection as well, it comes down to some very fine margins, but you still, likewise, you need you need tops from, from somewhere else that will produce a bit more longevity to you. Well, absolutely, but... 
you've got to bear in mind that Texels have a very strict uh, no dressing rule. And uh, so for a start, you have to be the sheep that's got a tight skin. Um, and that's worth a lot because what you see is what you get uh, with a Texel and the commercial man of we've benefited for the commercial man just for that reason. But um, but no, the, there's Texels uh, on some f- far better ground than we've got and Texels on far poorer ground than we've got. So uh, you just have to feed accordingly and uh, hopefully breed for the market. We try and breed for commercial, tup, uh, for pedigree tuck lamb trade. And if she, the ewe isn't going to produce a Lanark lamb, she'll maybe produce a, a, a very good shearling, a £1,000 shearling for Kelso. Yeah. You know, got to kill. There's no point in going all whole hog for one route. You've got to be in the middle somewhere. Sure, and a lot of people do that. Well, there are one or two people that do just breed for the pedigree market and kill the rest, but uh, yes, I know some yeah. of yours go into back into your commercial section afterwards. And Finley, sheep out there on the hill, obviously the tops have got to go out there and work on the hill, I guess, in, in, in the back end of the year there, or recently really. So you'll you'll be a different type of top. What kind of tops are you putting up there with the blackest? Correct. Um, we just lifted the tops there last week, so they go out on the last days of November and beginning of December. Um, and uh, I would share uh, Robert's sentiment there. For us, skin is very important. We, we try and breed as a, a good bear skin. Uh, we don't want it to be too kempy, um, uh, 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 saying that, but uh, a good a good bear wool. And, um, you know, we, we, we try and generally, uh, when I'm buying tips, I, I kind of look to breed uh, what, what the female line that's going to leave, uh, leave behind it. Uh, for a health situation, that's kind of, where we are, we make a wee bit of money selling supper skimmers, and um, well, that's important to us. And uh, the weather's important; it's got to have a good carcass. But if, if uh, the owl's not right, you'll not have a weather either. So, True. so, so, uh, very much maternally uh, focused here. Um, uh, so that's what we look for in our tops: a good skin, a good mouth, and something that's going to be a bit scouty and leave a good yow line, like you know. Obviously, you're putting blackie tops out there to breed more blackies there. But do you put other breeds of tops out there on those blackies as well for your fat lamb trade? Uh, we we tend not to at the moment. Um, when when I first came back to Rannoch um, and Denalister, the the really I didn't think was enough yows to warrant crossing. So trying to build up the trying to build up a nucleus flock again. I'm not saying we'll know eventually cross um, again. We'll work achieve it over some of the bottom end of the yows, but we even stopped doing that because they were neither. They were neither a cheviot nor a blacky lamb. It didn't really give as much benefit. So, uh, uh, so really, we're just focused on trying to buy better tips that our pocket can manage and and, and bring the bring the standard of the yow to a quality where we'll be happy with her, and then we can start looking at crossing some of them. We're, we're on, as I say, we're on about three hundred cheviots, and I think probably we'll look to a texel there in a couple of years' time okay. because we've, you, you know, yep. There you go, Robert. You leave your phone number at the end of the end of the podcast. There. And uh, <laughs> hoping for a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just move on. Then you guys, different types of sheep diversity is is, is the whole thing about farming across Scotland, about farming across the UK, really. And uh, it, Robert, you'll be there on although it's on the LFA land. There, you'll be obviously lambing those a lot earlier, as we said in the next week or two, and that involves putting them in the house, doesn't it? So uh, that comes with housing sheep comes with it with a, its upsides, but a lot of downsides as well, pitfalls. Well, certainly when you you're lambing pedigree animals, they're, they're higher value, so you have to be uh, you have to be on it really. And uh, we've got a, a pretty good setup here. We've, we managed to get ourselves one of those uh, cameras that can zoom right in, and we can we've got them all synchronised uh, over a, a fairly short period. We do a bit of laparoscopic and cervical AI. 
Um, and obviously we've got them scanned, so we'll put them in their different batches and we've been feeding accordingly, depending on their scanning for the last six weeks, really. Sure. So, um, you know, our commercials don't start to the 10th of April and we do the same with them. We can hopefully land the twins outside and just land the singles and the triplets inside mm-hmm. for ease of management as well. Okay. What kind of numbers are we talking? Have you pedigree flock, Robert, just to keep us up to date? Ah, in the region of about 80, 80 pedigree news. We do a bit of flushing as well. So uh, okay. uh, some of the older good breed news, we, if we try and get more daughters of them, it's the main thing. But um, it's not my mainstay. Flushing is a... There's a bit of a sideline, really. But, uh, we'll yeah. not, a sideline and, 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 a, and a channel we're probably not going down on this podcast for a number of reasons. And Finlay, you're, I wouldn't say the opposite, but I mean, as you, you intimated earlier on, you lamb it, you know, when the weather gets better and all outside on the hill, different type of, of um, uh, challenges, I guess, sort of lambing out, especially when the weather's coming up against you. Well, I was going to say, we, we do try and get the weather right, but um, some years... I don't think God gets the memo, like you know. So, so uh, with uh, I, I mean, uh, the, the, there's there's a lot of the guys used to talk about the Gabba May, uh, you know, and we've, we've been hit with that of Wales a few times before, and when you've had great weather in April. But I think generally for us, like, um, we work, you know, the system uh, relies on the yow very much to do it for ourselves uh, with a wee bit of kindness. So even by that time, there's not a lot of growth here, but there is a start, and <clears throat> that gives us the wee start just to just to get on and even a wee bit of snow melts, you can start rising up into the heather and, you know, get a bit of roughage through that too. So, so yeah. Yeah. And, and, and your sheep are obviously by the, by nature an easy care sheep, but you still do need labour and people about and you've got a lot of sheep about there. What kind of numbers of labour does it take to look after that? Do they all get seen every day or twice a day during that time? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, they are easier care, but there's not no care. No. So uh, we, we, we do rely, you know, we've got um, we uh, um, on the on the farm itself. We've got myself and uh, two other guys, a shepherd, and a cattleman, uh, and and he looked at the cattleman looked after a herschel as well. And we've just started a, another chap on, so that's yeah. us up to four full time here. And we rely very much on on on, on contract and staff. But um, the yows out the hill, a lot of the singles lamb out the hill, and really, um, to be honest, if you've got the nutrition right and uh, you've done your homework and stockmanship right, I think she, if she can't do it herself, it's, sometimes it's better that she doesn't need to come in well. Um, and you notice them at the clipping and we just we just uh, we deal with them accordingly, like, you know. So um, that, that, that's the kind of way we have to go. Um, and, and to be honest, out in the hill, ugh, there's, uh, predation would be more our biggest issue than the natural, the yow failing us, okay. like, you know, or burn, things like that. Like, you know? but, yeah. but there obviously is a cost to, all, to, to the labour bringing it in. And, to, and Robert, hey, you're bringing additional labour, mainly from your family, I think. All your family roll the sleeves up round about lambing time and, and get stuck in, the, in there. Yeah, for sure. But uh, our commercial flock, we actually tag all our new lambs at birth. So mm. that's quite a labour-intensive uh, operation in itself. Uh, but I've got records for the last sort of 12 years of my commercial flock. So... Um, if there's a, a problem crops up in a, a line or a family, I can I can identify it and, and just try and pull it out so that we're breeding a, a commercial sheep that's got longevity as well as a pedigree sheep. Mm-hmm. You do, do you record lambing difficulty among, amongst your sheep from those tags? Is that, is that something you're going to record? <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I don't. There's one thing I don't really bother about because uh, if you've got something coming backwards, you need to help it anyway. So, you know... Um, if I thought there was a trend with tucks leaving larger lambs, fair enough. But, um, you know, 
if you're lambing very plain sheep, they will lamb themselves. But if you're trying to breed better quality sheep with, with, with some shape, you know yourself, you might have to uh, you might have to intervene occasionally. Sure. Sure, and that's the difference, I suppose, between the, between the, the two of you there, although you're both after quality that you are, that bit extra shape does take a little bit extra work. And let's just look at the, the scanning this year. I don't think either of you guys scanned your commercial flocks. I mean, Robert, you'll have scanned your, you'll have scanned yeah. your pedigrees, but um, the scanning is an important tool now, isn't it, amongst the, the farming industry? And it's an expense, and, and you've got to get them all in, but <clears> do you guys, that, that scanning is essential, isn't it? Finley, you, you'll scan all your, all your flock, you know exactly what they're having. Yeah, I would say, to be quite honest, it's probably one of the, most useful tools in our in our uh, armament for managing the managing our yows. Like you know, we we're, we're very extensive and our, our a lot of our in buy is pretty marginal, but we can use it to benefit if if we know what what's having twins. And uh, so yeah, we certainly use the scan. And our yows scan depending on the herschel. Uh, last year they were just struggling a wee bit, and I'm not just sure why. But usually uh, they scan anywhere from 115 up to early 140s, depending on the depending on the herschel. Like you know, mm-hmm. um, we've got the two sides of the glen here, so there's one side on the on the south side, which doesn't get much sun in the winter. And they, these yows are always a wee bit uh, behind. Mm-hmm. But um, for us, I'm not looking for a lot of twins. If if I could get every yow to have one lamb in the hill, that would be that would be magic for me like but uh, often we often will generally end up with too many twins and too many empties but we're generally our empty house here uh, touch wood are below five percent okay. so okay. so uh, yeah. uh, and robert obviously the, the, we said scanning is an important tool how soon for your, your commercial flock do you start separating out the, you know, the the singles and the twins is that pretty much straight away so you can start feeding them immediately yeah well We've actually, when we flicked the ewes in the middle of January, I just uh, put my hand in anything. Uh, because we've, they've all got colour-coded tags, I can pull out anything that's obviously older. Uh, so I'm quite happy to keep a ewe that's seven, eight-year-old if she's got correct mouth and, and teeth uh, and, and hold, looks like she's going to hold her flesh. So um, they're already pulled out at the moment. And then when they come out of the scanning crate, I'll just shed all the triplets and quads all off to one side and the yellow ones, and uh, I'll go back through them later. And if the yellow ones are for killing, I'll stay, I'll, I'll put them separate as well afterwards. But, um, it, you know, the cost of feeding the way it is, there's no point in feeding a yellow sheep. Or, so I think scanning, it's it's false economy, not scanning. What sort of chance do you give a yellow you an empty you? Obviously, she's empty one year. Does she go back and she looks like she's a breeder? Did she go back in? How many chances do you give her or is she out the door straight away? Well, I would I would forgive a gimmer and always take a note of all the gimmers that are haven't t- held the first year and then if the second year, more, nine, near enough 100% of the time, she'll take the top of the next year. Okay. Um, so, you know... Um, it all depends on the ground that they're getting tucked on as well. Um, but we generally kind of, to land the 10th of April, we generally do slightly more triplets than singles when we scan okay. um, and quarter a few more quads as well, half a dozen quads or something like that as well. So you're looking at a much um, higher lambing percentage then that, that, that Finn is looking at? Yeah, we're, we're quite a unique system here. We don't have any blue-faced Leicester blood at all, and we've kind of got run a closed flock, so... We've been dabbling with various sires over the years, and uh, we had uh, Texel Blackies was the main, Blackies were the mainstay of our commercial enterprise, and then uh, we were steadily getting them purer and purer, crossing them with the Texel, and you got a fantastic lamb, but we didn't find that we were getting enough lambs for the kind of land we had, so we uh, we dabbled with a wee bit of uh, Clun Forest across the Texel Blackie. 
uh, or the ones that are like seven eighth dexel, and that was a really good use. She held her flesh well, and the, the clins a very easy fleshing type of breed, and live live forever. Last year I had a well, two years ago I had an eight year old ewe managed to rear triplets, clan forest cross dexel, okay. and she had last year she had triplets, and I took one off her, but she reared two as a nine year old. So. Uh, you know that's what we're aiming for really is that kind of hardiness but so in 2012 I managed to I was in judging in Southern Ireland and I came across a breed called the Bell Player and they've got this prolificity gene in them so I got a hold of some of those tops and I put them across the Clun Forest crosses um, and all the daughters of them immediately lambed as uh, twins or triplets and very few singles so I crossed them with a New Zealand Suffolk and then I'm starting again with uh, the Texel back across the Suffolk. So just doing it in a cycle. I hope you're all taking notes out of them because I've got a diagram going down here and it's going a little few a few lines going backwards <laughs> and forwards there. But uh, yeah, as you said, each, each breed suits a different uh, system. Yep. And of course, pre-lambing, once you have got those parted there, it's hugely important, isn't it? The nutritional side of it. And yeah, Absolutely. What, what usual, uh, Finley sort of way, what, what usual products do you you should be looking towards to 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 put out with me. Well, well, we introduced the forage booster buckets to the owls from uh, gen- depending on the year, but generally just kind of mid November, uh, we will introduce them to the owls, and uh, we continue with them right the way through. And at scanning the uh, um, scanning, we we um, obviously uh, well, we have a no policy in the LGOs as well. We, we just sell the LGOs off the place, and the singles stay on the forage booster, and they stay in the forage bo- uh, booster blocks. Uh, until about the maybe depending on the year it's all dependent but generally till about maybe the beginning of April and then we just we kind of take them off the blocks a wee bit just to almost bear them up a wee bit on the hill um, and we keep the buckets to them and uh, the twin yows we switch them to the vitality after scanning and they get the vitality um, uh, blocks as well and uh, we just we just that they add lib to them all the way through until they until they tell me they don't want them anymore. Generally, I'll do it and I'm not really going them, and I'll just I'll just no bother putting out. Um, but like I say, we use the forage booster right the way through, and we and the booster block and bucket. Um, we'd usually introduce the blocks in the new year, um, the feed blocks, mm. but the buckets are from mid November, and uh, okay. yeah, okay. And Robert, you'll you'll be a more yeah, hi, we're talking a lot more lambs there, so you're talking more input as well there, so you'll be feeding yeah. you'll be feeding everything but the singles pretty much from from the scanning time, would you? Yeah, well, we'll give everything free access minerals, um, right, top in time. And then, uh, as I say, once we've scanned, these triplets will be separated regardless how fit they are. We'll separate them and try and keep them in the flatter fields. There's less chance of prolapses. And then just start giving them a small quantity of rolls. Like the rolls and the snacker, it's a simple uh, way of operating. And um, my pedigrees. I give them the, the nuts because we're feeding them in troughs in the sheds. So, um, but when they go outside, they're back onto the snacker. Okay. And and um, we're going post lambing now. Obviously, as you said, with the pedigrees, the creep will come in as soon as they're, they're able to take that in. And that'll, what, 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 we, what you're putting in the creep these days, or is that a secret? Uh, no, we, we tend to work with the, the Harbro 18% uh, creep pellet. It's, uh, it's a very clean product. It's got decox in it, which we need. Um, and uh, they seem to get started on it uh, pretty good as well. It's a really nice smell. And uh, uh, most, I know a lot of guys around about here, uh, they maybe don't buy any other products for Harbro, but they definitely buy those pellets. Like, you know, the, we, we need to use products that's got vitamin B1 in them. And uh, 
these products all have the highest in the market. Harbour, certainly where they came from, wasn't it? With with feeding lambs, I think, was sort of where Harbour really started in amongst the, the, the Suffolks and what have you. So they know their trade in there. Finley, a creep will be a dirty word to you, I guess. You won't see many of those up where you are. Well, not not here, but uh, we we do finish we we, we we finish all the all the lambs, but not at home. I'm very lucky. I've got quite a good relationship with a good friend up in in Keith, and we ship all the ship all the weathers and the in the stumps go up there too, and we put the creeps up out there and 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 finish them off a green keep as well. So um, it's not such a rosy year this year for selling hogs thus far. It's early yet, but. Um, I had some away last week, some cheviots away last week, and uh, they were okay, but uh, there needed to be a wee bit more to make it work for us. But it's, it's hard to finish that we we fill those feeders with too. So, uh, okay. aye, we're, we're, uh, yeah. Okay. And, and you talked about this year is different. It has been a different year, I think, a different year for scanning round about the country and a different year for the conditions of the animals in there. And that is a challenge, isn't it? It's something you can't control, you know, pre-lambing anyway. To, to, uh, and have, you got any, have we heard any results of how the scanning is round and about there with such a dry, a dry autumn that we had? Well, I can gather down south a wee bit uh, tighter. There's definitely la- less lambs about down south anyway. There may be not so many barons, but uh, the, the, a lot of you that are normal have twins are uh, only got singles. But um, I think it's uh, farmers are really, got, really good at uh, thinking on their feet and no two seasons the same. And, you know, you're, every time you get your sheep in, you should just always have your hand on them just to assess what they're doing. Um, there's so many variables um, and you could get caught out quite easily. And be adaptable to change your system accordingly. Yeah. And do the same there, Finley. Yeah. yeah, I would just say, yeah, Sage Council from from Robert there. I would I would say like you know I'm hearing mixed results here too. One guy locally here had his park house done a very good scan. Another guy just down the road, not so good. Like, but um, you know I, I always have to laugh. I'm very lucky. I've got a really good scanner here, Stuart Stuart Wright, and they. Whenever I'm got my wee bit of paper, looking at it, questioning, questioning my, my ability and my, my decisions, I say, "What well, what's it like being around the boot?" And it says the same answer every year: the good guys are good, and the bad guys aren't so good. <laughs> but it's just as Robert says: the good years are good, the bad years are bad. Sometimes you just can't put your finger on it. Um, you know, some you're working with livestock and you're working with nature, and there's maybe not always just an answer. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe don't question yourself too much if you're doing the best you can. That's all you can do. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And and obviously challenging time. There's a lot of challenges at lambing time, as as we all know, and and twin lamb disease is one out there. Is there a specific advice you can give to some of our viewers there sort of how to prevent twin lamb disease? Well, actually, it's not something we have a lot of problems with. Um, We tend to give uh, our sheep as much uh, pit silage as as possible, and uh, we we try and make as good silage as we can. But... uh, no, I don't. Uh, old calcium's probably as good as anything for any sheep that's down, mm-hmm. to be honest with mm-hmm. uh-huh. you. And you yeah. single those out, Finley, if you find anything that's down like that and you suspect a bit of twin arm, you, you pull them on one side? Yeah, generally for us, it's, it would depend on the year. If we get a, we get a right kick in the back end and, uh, you know, in about the springtime with bad weather, we've got to look out. But I've certainly seen a lot less of it. Um, take when, when you go into a system like we're on, you know, it takes sometimes a year or two maybe for the yows just to learn exactly, you know, the buckets and you'll get greedy yows and you'll get some yows that um, aren't quite so, you know, maybe a bit, you know, shy of the buckets. Like So in saying that, I wouldn't always just say it's the yows that shy of the buckets that go down, but uh, as Robert says, make the be- I mean, we make quick, we try and make the best kind of silage we can here and 
we treat it all with uh, the additive to, to help it and make it kind of sheep safe as well. Okay. And, and uh, really, that's all. Yeah, that's all we can do. But it's not. We don't get a massive problem. With it, to be quite honest, and I think that's all down to you know the yows are knowing where the buckets are and, and, and using them to the to their advantage. Like okay, okay. You know? you see, with the, with the free access minerals, Andy, you'll get a, a surge to start with. And the sheep will take a lot to start with, and then they sort of level out once they know where they, and they'll just tick away. And uh, as long as they're taking minerals all the time, there should be less risk. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. And obviously, once the lambs hit the ground, the colostrum, it's all about getting the milk in those early days. It's about getting used at milk. And again, Robert, that'll be something that you, take, both of you, will take a huge record of to make sure that the milk are used. But uh, do, do you keep colostrum on hand with the pedigrees? Do you drop a colostrum into every single one of them just as a, as a fail safe there, or, or do you just let them get on with it? We just keep an eye on them, and if, as long as they're up and sucking within, you know, 20 minutes or, or even quicker, I'm, I'm pretty confident they'll not need anything uh, added. And quite often we would milk a few jugs at the start of lambing time off some of those singles just to have some in the freezer, but we do buy colostrum uh, uh, just in case we need it. But um, no, they're... There's certainly no shortage of milk at lambing time, that's for sure. <laughs> and the same when you breed for it there, Finley, that's, that would be the same, but you keep some on hand, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, we try and breed big, squishy yows for constitution, and and uh, I think if you do that, you've got the job in hand. But in saying that, you've really got to have a an, 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 an insurance policy, a colostrum. It's a funny year, it's a funny thing, actually, just in the, in the fact we finished the lambs, you know, uh, when we had that... Uh, uh, beast from the east there a few years ago like you know the yows actually were okay the, our yows managed to come through it not too bad uh, and I didn't notice a lot of, I didn't notice a lot of bother with colostrum you know the yows were, were you know were okay but that year the, in the finishing lambs I was I lost quite a considerably few a lot more uh, hogs at, 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 the, at the grazing okay. and we couldn't just put a finger on it they were inoculated and everything and we, I spoke with the vet up there and we just wondered if it was a if it was the colostrum quality at that stage coming out in these in these kind of nine ten month old hogs sure. that were you know at that stage uh, and that's all we could put it down to and touch would have had it again mm-hmm. um, but like I say that was just a terrible terrible year but sure. it was just maybe enough just to drop that colostrum intake in these slams like and a year to learn from as well wasn't it for all of us for for a lot of reasons for that matter and Robert you talk about the uh, one thing probably Finley doesn't have a problem with that you maybe will if you're talking about triplets and quads so you got to have some pet lambs about you and what do you drop all those into the market and get rid of them or knock them on the head or have you got a system for looking after this <laughs> We try and get as many twinned on as possible. Even if they use young enough and uh, the lambs are even, I would leave them with triplets uh, and try and get, give them the best field of grass there is and just uh, feed them a wee bit harder and for longer mm-hmm. uh, if we can. But there's no point in doing it if the lambs are uneven in size. If they're all the same size, we could get away with doing that. But um, yeah, it's, we try and sell as many as we can. There's pet lambs, we would keep a few, but we try not to if we can help it. Well, the price of milk replacer, of course, that does make it makes it very expensive to rear a lamb these days on on a, on a bucket. It's surprising how they do come eventually. You know, you if you look after those pet lambs, they really they're not cheap. But in this maybe year to get them away early was probably this was a year to have them. Mm-hmm. To be honest, you, but. Sure. Uh, sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and as I said, that wouldn't be a problem with you there. Um, Finley, another problem probably wouldn't be with you would be mastitis. Would you? Would we see? I suppose that would be something you'd need to keep an eye on. I suppose it's spaining time or right the way through. No, it's not a massive issue. But when we take the twins down, I'm I'm very lucky. I've got a kind of couple of guys here with my grassland management here in the better parts, and with we we, we we a guy Charlie Murray at Clyde Agri Seeds, another guy Sinclair Simpson, a, a an Arcadian guy that came with me from, through the farm advisory service, and. 
we've invested a lot of money in, in reseeding the parts that we can reseed, and uh, you know, we've, uh, Charlie made a really good mix that suits to this area. The only issue I would say with that is if you've no, if I've not got my stocking quite right, my yows can wiles be a wee bit heft at lambing, and that can miles give you the give you that maybe wee issue if you if you're not just on it to strip her off and that like generally older yows, you know, like the, that year's cast. But um, I on the on the twin lamb front, we've got very few kind of triplets here, but um, we do. I'm, I'm quite adept at skinning the odd lamb if I've had a sure. <laughs> that way. But I always remember what my my old boss Alec Murray told me when I was when I was working with him. He says, "If you didn't love a rain, why would you love somebody else's?" <laughs> no, <laughs> so, fair enough. So it's always stuck with me like that a wee bit too. But uh, if you if you're standing over at stamping their feet, you've got half a chance. Yeah. Yeah, okay, and Robert did mastitis. I mean, okay, a different setup again there. Big milky you said you just dry them all off, make sure everything's bed right then. Yeah, well, we we tend to, our pedigree use, uh, because we're weaning them in the peak of the summer, we actually use a dry cow tube uh, to, to, to seal them off. Um, and uh, this year we have, last year we tried it, and this year we're doing it again. We're uh, using this Vimco, the mastitis vaccine, on our pedigree gimmers just. Okay. Um, we just feel that because the you can get the single use, the gimmers are used with single lambs, you can get them out fairly quickly out of the shed in the spring, but a gimmer with twins that's maybe had triplets and you've taken one off her, she's probably quite lean and you can't really get those sheep out to grass here until near the end of March, beginning of April possibly, and uh, that's that's peak time for uh, catching mastitis in the shed. So um, I would say touch wood. Um, I think we've it's worked so far. Um, this vaccine, it's a kind of I'm not saying it's something. Usually, if we can get them by the gimmer stage, there's not really too many problems, but. Uh, uh, we always keep our gimmers separate after the lamb, and uh, it was the same with our commercials. We try and keep them in a different the gimmers in the different fields because a, a you will always box out a gimmer when it comes to eating, mm-hmm. and a gimmer that's nursing twins just can't get enough feed basically. Okay. Um, and if she starts to get not get enough into her, you'll end up with lambs that are suck suck suck. Mm-hmm. You'll end up with orf on your teats, and you'll end up with mastitis. Okay. So. There's a whole range of stuff you can do with your management or gimmers, the same as you do with your, your two-year-old heifers. You've got to keep them separate and they look after them in that first year and then the following year they're hopefully integrated into your flock herd just the same. Okay, and I know this is a lambing podcast where we should talk about generally about sheep though the whole year through and obviously once you get the lambs away there, it's about getting the use, managing the condition of the ewes through the years and again two different systems at different times of, of tupping there about getting the ewes maybe down into a leaner condition and then bringing them back up there. And How does that work with you Finley? Does it, do, you nat- do your sheep's conditions naturally follow the, the, the climate? They, they, they do, Andy. Uh, we try and, for me, the secret I think is to try and we try and get them spent uh, in as, as early into September as I can, and I give them all. I give them their back end treatment then, actually, because we've got longer days, lighter days. So I give them their, I give them a, a, a heap of ablutions then, and we kick them back out the hill, and it's amazing how they how they go on and do. They will probably, you know, it's quite often at tough time they're they can be pretty thick, but. I, I'm not really too worried about that. If she's gone and done, like, you know, she, you know, she can't really be too hard. We're tupping a bit later anyway, so I'm sacrificing 
that lamin, you know, rise, that big flush, uh, just to keep it in right tune through the other side of the year, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And, and, yeah. and Robert, you said, although you said you are breeding to get more more lambs or what have you, you know the secret, of, obviously, of, of getting the sheep down into a poorer condition then bringing them back up on a rising plane just when the top goes in. And, and it's about bearing those sheep down hard in the summer, especially your pedigrees, getting getting them fetched back, back in condition to get as many lambs as you can. Yeah, well... We have some quite hard uh, rocky bits that we can stick them on and, and keep them fairly tight. Um, but our pedigrees, that is, but like our, our commercial flock, we don't really uh, uh, want too hard on them because we're not really wanting any more than, uh, you know, the lambs that we get. And, okay, we are tupping them on good land, uh, the best land we've got, but uh, I'm just a wee bit wary about any getting any more lambs. There is a sweet spot there and, you only get two teats after all, like mm-hmm. you know. That's true, and you've only got to, so so many buckets for those pet lambs, and so and so many you can twin exactly. twin back on. And and let's move on to the to, to the lambs themselves. Then I mean, you market your stock, uh, Robert, obviously through the the pedigree sales as you mentioned earlier on, and it's about getting those lambs peak. You know exactly when your sale day is going to be, and and you start everything. You time all your, your exactly to to get your sheep ready for that sale, and. Um, your main market, obviously, for, for selling your best Texel lambs is Lanark, but you'll have a lot of Texel lambs to sell you know, across the country, and uh, it's only so Yeah, well, it's, it's, inc- it's incredible. Uh, we'll try and sell about 40 top lambs a year, and it's incredible the different areas of the country. We've tried to go down south. We've always went down south to sales, and different markets have different uh, priorities, so it makes it easier if you've got a range of, of uh, types of top lambs uh, to market them, you know which market's going to suit that particular sheep. But um, but no, uh, it's it's a it's a busy time of year selling. But uh, we we try our hardest, and uh, there's always the textile breeders always have a good fund at the sales. <laughs> they do that. I was one myself once. I saw the light now, but I was one myself mm-hmm. once. And uh, and your commercial side of it, a different thing. Obviously, this is the, the bigger numbers there. And have you got specific markets for that? Are you going on the hook? How, how are you marketing your your commercial lambs and when? Well, all, as I say, all the ewe lambs were all tagged at birth, so we aim to sell maybe about 100 recipients a year okay. for to for to other breeders, and uh, what doesn't make the grade uh, will be hung up, or if they're exceptionally good-looking lambs, they'll go to the market. Really, it's just about a mixture of the uh, of those three options, really, for our commercials. And and Finley yourself, you'll have sales what for, for draft ewe lambs at a certain time, or keeping some round for gimmers, but you'll you'll kill some as well. <laughs> Yeah, we, we um, generally uh, don't sell any ewe lambs. Uh, we, we keep them all through the winter. Uh, we, we qualify for the Upland uh, Hill lamb scheme here. So so um, we generally keep keep all the ewe lambs and uh, uh, we keep the better ones to sell as gimmers at Dilmali. And uh, uh, we, we the rest of them just get generally we hang, hang them up along with our brothers in, in the spring, like, you know. Uh, and, uh, yep, so that's our, that's our mainstay with the, with the sheep job. Like, we sell... We don't. We sell a wee smatter and a tups at Fort William every year, but it's really just to, if, I, if we can pay the bar tab, <laughs> like you know, we're, we're we're happy with that, like you know, you know. So yeah. great. And and but you do when you say you, you hang the lambs up. Have you got specific buyers that you'll send them to on a regular basis, or are you talking marts again? We, we, we've got quite a no. We, we've got quite a good uh, relationship with uh, Woodhead Brothers up in uh, Turf. Uh, uh, we, we put most of the lambs up there, and. Uh, 
Um, we do we do sell some through the live ring too. My, my, my former my former employment, I've got to sell some through the live ring, otherwise I'd be getting kicked by everyone that sees me. But the blacky lambs generally have to say, um, unless that you know that the humdingers really deserve to be uh, really do, generally do better hanging up, like you know, um, for us, like you know. And Robert, we yeah. obviously saw a change in we saw a change in the world um, last couple of years though with COVID, and it certainly changed the way a lot of people do a lot of things. I think and. Uh, has the internet become certainly in the pedigree side? It was the internet now starting to become more of a tool and, and a sales a sales um, gadget for you. Yeah, there's certainly more and more people have been an online sale. Who would have thought of that a few years ago? But uh, I'm very wary. To be fair, but although I, I have bought online, I'd be very wary at spending any serious amount of money without actually seeing the sheep uh, in context with another sheep. Uh, um, but it certainly, for we certainly we sell a bit of semen abroad, and um, the internet and Facebook uh, has been very helpful for marketing semen and, and uh, genetics around the world, really. So we're just moving with the times, really, aren't we? I suppose we are. But pre-sale, I mean, you will obviously not everybody can come to the farm and see the tops before they go to the sale. Mm. You will invite people around, and top breeders will come and have a mooch. But so yep. you do put yep. your videos together now and, and, and these great photographs and that, just to trying to pr- get yourself a little bit of an edge when you get to the sales. Yeah, I try. I don't make too good a job of them before sale time in the videos and the photographs so that when they actually turn up to the sale they actually get quietly surprised how that they're better than the picture because that's there's nothing worse than getting a major disappointment when you turn up at a sale that's called expectation management that's why we didn't big up this seminar too much before we got there just in case it wasn't great but it is you're doing well guys you're doing a great job and uh, it does say the social media really is is something that's that's taken the breed forward um we have had a few questions on if you folks out there have put your questions in there um they've been monitored and a few of them have sent them um to us so fine so i think we're gonna we're gonna move on now to the uh, questions and answers uh, section there and uh, let's just look what I've got here I've got um, a question from uh, Ross Robertson this is for you Robert uh, with Texels do you make a, a lot of lot of decisions based on EBVs or are you looking more at pedigrees and that's a, that's an open open <laughs> open conversation there we could spend all night on but let's see how you go yeah well you've got to have a balance and uh, figures are just another trait a uh, character's a trait but um, I think as time goes on, um, when you look at the impact figures I've had in the dairy, the pig industries, um, and the genetic gain is quite incredible. But um, it, there's a lot of different factors involved in breeding sheep with environmental issues and the type of land and the, the height you're at. But uh, there are certain traits that farmers in, in this area are certainly looking for. And uh, if you have no figures, you don't know what you've got. But at least you've, if you've got some sort of EBVs there to work on and there are certain traits that you think you can improve. Um, I know, for example, we, we up until 2015 had never really exported many sheep abroad, but it turned out we didn't know it, but we turned out we had actually a, a top that was very high litter size EBV. And that was something that these particular breeders in uh, Europe were wanting. And uh, if we didn't have EBVs or figures, um, it would have been a sale I would have missed out on, that's for sure. And certainly something you've been recording your sheep for a long time, I'm very aware of that. So you will have some some good figures, and the figures are getting more and more accurate as the years goes on. And the figures are coming into the blacky side of it as well now there, uh, Finley. Is it something you're starting to take a bit of notice of, of, of recording figures? No, not personally here, no. Um, 
The only figures I look at once I've seen the tip in the flesh is the postcode. And if it's from a harder area than where I'm from, I make a decision as to why it's fit, why it looks the way it looks. And I use stockmanship to decide whether it's been built with feed or whether it's just a natural doer. So, so, so you know, so that's my kind of, you know, generally I've got a rule of thumb. I generally don't buy tips from places that I think are a... Uh, are, are too much better than here you, you know um, we're quite hard here we've got a good bit of in buy too like but the hill's pretty hard so we, uh, we need them to go out and do so there's a lot generally a lot of the tips that I'm buying are, are, are Perthshire bread tips or Argyle tips and, uh, uh, and uh, you know so pretty much that's the kind of the general rule of thumb like the postcode is the figures I look for like okay and uh, we do have Jill Hunter here in the background Jill if you'd like to show yourself and make yourself known there I'd love you to join in these uh, this Q&A's as well uh, again well recognised oh. Blackie family hi Jill um yeah, what to say um, when it comes to blackies and EBVs. <laughs> okay. Well, well there's a, I've got a question here from a Mr. Aitken. I'm not sure this might be your boss at the chair, chairman of the Texel Society or not, but Mr. Aitken is asking, how do you see the Texel as a breed versus a Suffolk? There we go, Robert's question for you. Oh, that's a very good question, isn't it? Well, I think all breeds have got their place, and I'm not going to decry another breed against our breed, but the, the, the Texel has gained its share of the marketplace because of their ability to get up and suckle quickly. They're easy fleshing and um, they have got plenty of cover on the tops of their heads. The white hair uh, and any animal is important and uh, that's that's all about that. That birth coat that they often talk about, we need to make sure that we've got sheep that have got plenty of coat and plenty of hair on their head and they can stand a cold morning um, and that's where the, the Texel has really scored over the years. And I've also got uh, cleaner backsides as well. <laughs> that's the, that, If you asked 100 uh, commercial guys, that's what one of the things they would say is that the, the backsides are always cleaner. Okay, okay fair enough. That's, uh, that's answered that one there, Mr. Aiken. And a uh, question from Alan Fotheringham. How many weeks pre-lambing do you scan, Finley? Uh, generally, we all scan kind of uh, beginning uh, beginning middle of March, depending on weather. It's very difficult sometimes to get out to the hill in that time. Like So so a month, a month six weeks pre-lambing is generally our rule here. I used to leave it a bit later, actually, um, uh, and just we used to actually work the Heptavac Jag, you know, just after the scan, uh, just for ease of management. But uh, my scanner was, was always kind of struggling. Well, he wasn't struggling, but he was always advising me, make an easier day for him if we scanned a bit earlier. Mm-hmm. So we've taken it back a bit earlier. And he, you know, to be honest, I was wrong in leaving it so late because I can, I see a big difference in my twin bearing yows in, in August, September month that year. This, they've mended because I've been better to them a wee bit earlier. Okay. Uh, yeah. You know, so yeah. you can go with that, Robert. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a whole cycle. It's a one year cycle, really, the, the sheep management. And uh, you know, you've got to be planning ahead all the time. Mm-hmm. And a question yeah. from Susie Crera. And this is for you, Finley, and uh, this is a good question, I have to say. Is, is there anything you can do in particular to try and encourage single lambs at Tupping Time? Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm not really sure. I, I don't know. Um, I couldn't honestly tell you. Uh, for me, I, I think we're just, if we get them in lamb, that's a good start, really. But, you know, um, but to try and... No, I don't. I don't think so. If you if you bear them up and not don't be too good to them and tuck them on the hill, you'll you'll certainly reduce the lamb. And we only tuck the first cycle in the fields, and the second cycle we 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 we, we put them back out to the hill, and we work a tupping ratio in the patch about what uh, fifty to sixty 
30 yows per tap. But when they go to the hill, I can increase it a wee bit to be 35 to 40. Okay. And again, that's really just to look after the tap's a bit better yeah. too. And it's a big it's a big scalp of ground they've got to cover. So. Sure. But to try and make them just to get to bring the twins out of them, I, I'm not just sure how you would go about that, to be quite honest, like, you know. No, no, true. Here's a question here for for Jill. Uh, um, what's the difference? Yeah. What's the difference between a bucket and a block? There, so so tell us the the, the main differences that that, uh, that we expect to see there. Yeah. So Finlay was talking about using blocks earlier. So a block is really simply it's compressed compound feed. So when you can't get to the hill with the snacker, um, how do you actually get a decent amount of nutrition into the use? So that's what blocks are. And then buckets are just um, pretty concentrated with minerals, a little bit of feed value, especially in like so the vitality buckets, um, just to help pop up use and, and complement compound feed. So if you think about twin lamb disease coming into lambing, it's making sure we're getting enough energy actually into those use and in a form that they can actually use. So, for example, vitality there's quite a lot of propylene glycol in it. So it's a nice wee top up of energy that doesn't have to be uh, mobilised by by the used liver, so you're helping her. You're reducing the risk of twin lamb disease as well as not adding to the problem. Okay, and a, and another um, nutritional question to Finley actually is it, is it Helen Simpson has asked what is it that you add to your silage to to make it better? Um, we used to use a product called EcoSile, um, but we actually use the product that HarboCell now um, through Davy Allen at Perthier. Safe sale, is it safe sale? Uh, so we use it, and our contractor comes in. We do, we we don't have a lot of the kit ourselves, but he just comes in with a tank and applies it as he's making the silage. And it just gives you that extra um, uh, confidence that it's going to be safe if there is a wee bit of mold heap or whatever in in the, in the bale. And I, you know, see very little mouldy bales here, and uh, it, it, it it makes them. I think it just gives them, it makes them a bit more palatable as well. Uh, for the house like two so I, I i would i think it's a bit i don't know what it costs i think it's about 70 or 80 pence a, a bale roughly i think maybe a, roughly i think i could be wrong in that i'm just doing it from memory but uh, it's not a big cost uh, to the cost of the to the cost of the, the silage operation like you know okay and uh, I've got a question from Stuart Kennedy, and uh, he says he agrees with you there, Robert. So somebody's not asking a question, but it's agreeing alongside you, saying that uh, keeping a ewe to six, seven, eight years old, if if she's got a good mouth and, and good feet and udder, that's is, that's the route to longevity to breeding those onto them, is it? Yeah, yeah. Well, and without proper records, you can't make decisions like that, uh, you know. And if you get a chance to uh, don't breed off the singles, you will increase your lambing percentage. Okay. It's not difficult, like, you know. Yeah. And uh, a question on boluses, or for both of you, really, do you bolus you use? Yeah, we we give our pedigrees, selenium cobalt, um, twice a year, uh, pre-tup and pre-lamming, and our commercials just get it pre-tup. And, mm-hmm. uh, we're very light ground here, and we're extremely cobalt deficient. And we actually, uh, I've been doing a lot of soil sampling, and uh, with the aim of trying to get our fields um, the, the cobalt selenium levels up a bit in our fields so that uh, we don't need to use boluses going forward, but we're not just at that point yet. Okay, and, and Finley, do you bolus? Do you see a difference with boluses? Uh, we don't actually bolus, but we, we, we work a mineral drench uh, here uh, three times a year. I worked out, I, it's, uh, the, the people that supply Starline there, I worked at the cost of the bolus to account a, a, a retention of the minerals, and it just worked out slightly cheaper for us here to, to, to just give them a three drenches a year, like you know. So generally, it's pre pre lambing, 
uh, clipping time and uh, pre-tapping. So yeah, that's the only thing we do when they come in off the hill. We just give them their we give them their, their drenched then because they've had everything else. They're looking that in the back end. It's been in like you know. Okay. So uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I've had a question for you, Robert. I think from uh, David Ford, and he said, "I breed pedigree Suffolks. <laughs> this is one of your pals. Rob. I breed pedigree Suffolks. And should I show off my young lambs that catch my eye on Facebook, or should I keep my cards close to my chest and wait till sale time?" Oh, I think if, you've, if your lambs are looking well, you should always show them off, like because although it it, uh, it sometimes can be have the counter effect, and and you get quite depressed if somebody's lambs look so much better than yours. And it, it's quite funny. There, there's a guy I'm friends with in Facebook in South Wales, and he's sort of like doing his first cuts of silage before our sheep are even out of the fields, and. Uh, I told them it's no good for the people up here's mental health seeing you doing things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, of course, mental health something we all should consider. But I, I hear what you're saying there. If you can get the, if you if you breed them good and they're, and they're young, uh, get everybody in to see them and and you do your own marketing everywhere you can. And that's yeah, that's half of our business, isn't it? To to do that. Uh, Marketing. I've got a question from uh, Natalie Milne here, who just wants to, to you, um, Finley, I think, to, or no, was it you, Robert, to just uh, reiterate what that um, vaccination that you're giving about mastitis. I think that's uh, that's picked interest of a few people. Vim, Vimco, it's called. Um, it's not that new to the market, but uh, I think dairy cattle have been using a form of it for quite a few years now. Um, Vimco. Vimco. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's, uh, and it's used quite a bit in dairy sheep as well. It would be what it right. would okay. be for as well. Okay. Um, Finley, Sarah Jane Forbes would like to know about predators, which predators cause the most problems out there the hill, and, and have you seen any changes in this over the years and maybe you know, maybe with different different weather, different climates? Yeah, our, we, have a, we have an issue with foxes here um, and, and we have an issue with badgers. Um, obviously, we can control the foxes. We can't control the badgers. Obviously, yeah, it's one of these things that we don't we don't persecute the fox, but we have to we have to keep an eye on things on that front. We also have a bit of bother. I've not seen it just as much as some of the guys further west are seeing it. But what one of my big worries is 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 uh, there's more yows coming off the hills up in the west, you know, northwest there. Um, I think we'll see a bit more sea eagle predation here. We do have sea eagles here and. And uh, I've seen pluckings out in the hill, not enough to give me a, you know, that I could say that this that was predated by the sea eagle out. And I've not seen that, but I've seen pluckings of wool and uh, I've seen them here. And it just gives me a wee bit worry that um, as the as the sheep stocks are going off in some of the west uh, and some good stocks of yows, some good proper hill stocks of yows are going off, that, um, that they might have to start coming further afield. It's an easy prey. A young, a young blacky lamb out in the hill, or, a, or even an older blacky lamb out in the hill. So that's a bit of a worry. But that's a that would be our biggest. Uh, we haven't a wee bit of an issue here too, and uh, we have to get licences to de- to deal with that as well. Um, it's very well regulated. Um, uh, so that's our our biggest issue. But again, it's just it's all to be done holistically and uh, with with a thought of the environment round about us. We're trying to work with it, not against it. Okay. Okay. Well, the amount of trees that's getting planted thinly up your way, there'll be—you uh, would think there'll be more cover for predators, wouldn't you? Yeah, <laughs> you're da- you're dash right, Robert. And I'll tell you, it's uh, you know we've got a lot of forestry and land Scotland uh, uh, woods here, and traditionally they used to let us well, they used to do the dens themselves, and now they're they're dead against any dens being looked at in, in, in their properties, and it's just a, a reservoir of problems. But uh, therein lies another a longer 
podcast yes. about uh, rural, rural uh, issues yeah. from uh, yeah. but, uh, At least we've not got wolves, Finley. At least we've not got the wolves. I wasn't going to mention <laughs> the wolves. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a lot, there, there's a lot of guys around the Aberfeld they have a bother with beavers, but they're not taking lambs okay, yet. No. <laughs> okay. And uh, you mentioned, uh, um, Finley, about when the, the sheep come in at the back end, you give them a potions of all this sort of thing. And uh, Sharon Milne is saying, do you do you hep to back everything uh, out there on the hill? Yeah, our yows are in the heptavac uh, system. We give them in the, the heptavac in the, uh, as their two jags as yow hogs uh, as they go away. In the wintering, they get their two jags. And uh, I actually give them a booster when they come home uh, from the wintering as well. And uh, then after that, they're on the system and it's just uh, they get their, their jag pre, uh, pre-lambing, like, you know. Uh, and the, the lambs, uh, you know, just... Um, if the, all the lambs get an overvac uh, at marking time and uh, milk clipping as well, just to give them cover. But I've noticed that we're finishing the lambs, uh, you know, we're having to kind of do that because the, the lambs are going into quite clean ground, but they're still going into ground up north. I've seen other sheep, and when these young lambs come off the come off the hill, they're quite naive to, to, to a lot of things. So if I can introduce as much as I can here, it's a wee bit of cost, but I think it I think it reduces your your, your, your mortality burden at the, at the other end. Yep, the, yeah. the yows are on the heptavac system. Okay. Yep. And a, a question for Jill there. Are we seeing a change in, in the nutritional requirements for sheep? I mean, you guys are developing products all the time and moving on there. Is, is there becoming a change in, in, in the breeding system to the better, obviously? Um, I think there's always um, there's always changes going on, isn't there? We would see that as genetics improve, um, there are... Certainly on the cattle side of things, we would see more of a focus on feed efficiency and you would expect that that will follow um, more so into, into sheep as well. So just making sure that what the, the products that we have are, are right for, for the job that we're trying to do. And um, Joe Robert's system is very different to Finlay's and making sure that we have something that suits both. And, and I suppose the advice almost that goes with the, the two of those is just as important as the as actual feed itself. Sure, and advice Advice is something I'm going to ask, and, and both of you now, I'll probably start with you, Robert, there is, uh, if you could give one piece of advice to a young shepherd, shepherdess, you know, both starting out in the business there, in their careers, uh, what, what would that advice be? Just go for it, follow your dreams, don't uh, follow anybody else, do your own thing, um, there's no point in doing the same as everybody else, you'll not beat the rest, but be like the rest, that was my motto, so, uh, um, yeah, a little bit of advice I'm going to give is uh, make sure you get your feed bins cleaned out before you put your feed in them. We had an issue that the last couple of years with an old wooden feed bin, and I'll tell you, it's got to be spotless clean before you we took the panel off it, and it was really dirty inside. And uh, but that's slightly different from what you were asking. But yes, <laughs> Finley, you've got thirty. No, you've got about a minute there to give some sound advice to our young young breeders and young listeners out there getting into the sheep business. Oh, geez. Well, I don't know if there's any silver bullet for success, but uh, I think if you get up in the morning and uh, and work, uh, you know, and, and, and put a shift in, you're bound to get you're bound to get there. And the old Jim Wilkin that used to be up at Ray Finn, up in the Bucky Road, one of the hardiest lads I ever knew, he said to me once, he says, never, never talk about your victories because you, cause you distance your friends and never talk about your defeats because you bore them. <laughs> and uh, I think there's something to be taken in that. Like, you know, I think uh, if you're doing well, you know, keep it under your bonnet and just glide along, Canny. And if you're not doing well, speak about it, but maybe don't speak about it too much. And the other thing I would say, just as a caveat to that, is if uh, one thing I would say to any young lad is say yes to as much as you can, uh, take as much experience and, and opportunity as you can. But if you see somebody that's maybe struggling a wee bit, 
just hurt them and then he judge them and criticise them. Well, many folk have wee issues and struggles and just give them a hand and it'll, it'll make you feel far better than make, thinking they're making a shite job or something. Everyone's had wee spells and dropped the ball. You help them pick it up and you'll feel far better than joining the rest of the boys saying what on earth he's making yeah. that. Like. That's very sound advice there, Fiddy. Very sound advice. You can go with that one as well, Robert, I guess, Aaron. It's, uh, it's all about the journey, Andy, not the destination. That's, that's very true and a, great, <laughs> and a great journey that it is and a great journey we've had this evening as well and I'm really pleased to speak to you guys. I hope uh, uh, we've answered your questions that have been sent in there and I hope that uh, panellists here have, have given you a good insight into the, their, the way their business is run and, and, uh, and we've all taken some advice and I think the best advice I could give to anybody although I'm not still in the sheep business is uh, take some advice so uh, listen to listen to people that have been there listen to people that know and you've got two of those guys right here in front of you doing a, doing a fantastic we've got three of those guys who's got Jill there's nothing that Jill doesn't know about nutrition too so uh, and nothing she doesn't know about sheep she's from, from the, one of the top blackie um, breeding families herself in, in, the, in, the, in the blackie trade so thank you very much everybody for, for listening in tonight and thanks to Harborough for hosting this, uh, this webinar and uh, good luck to you guys there getting back into the lamb and shed and uh, and um, hope you all have a good season and we'll see you all at the sales thanks very much Andy if you enjoyed it thank you everybody. great stuff wish everybody the best of lambing as well cheers thank you for listening to that quite special episode of Top Lines and Tales sponsored uh, as always by Harbro and don't forget that uh, Harbro supply feeds and nutrition the whole year round why not get in touch with them as we're coming up towards lambing time to, to see if they can suit and help your requirements uh, Get in touch with your local representative or, uh, or find them out there on the internet and social media. <laughs>